episode 28 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by darktheater.net, home of the character Folio. Folio. I am your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to Gaming and BS. Thanks so much for tuning in. Much appreciated. This is the podcast where Brett and I talk about gaming, typically tabletop RPGs and other uh, topics of geekery. Brett, man. So we started off. <laughs> How are we going to do this? We go through this whole thing, and then it's like, all right, ready? Yeah, let's do this. And I must have said episode 29 three freaking times and I could not get it right. Brett's like, dude, what are you doing? So 28, 28, 28. I'm forward thinking. Yes, very. We will be We will be here for at least one more. So therefore, it all works. That's the plan, Stan. Hey, so thanks for, um, hey, March Madness. You keeping up with the buckets out there, Brett? Uh, I, don't, in? I don't care. Is your bracket not, still good? Not a basketball guy. All right. Well, there you go, folks. <laughs> don't don't take Brett's picks. They're horrible. <laughs> I got into a work pool one time. I had some uh, about uh, two jobs ago. I had these had a small group of engineers reporting to me, uh, network and server guys, and the one dude down in Indiana who's huge <clears throat> college basketball guy. So it's like, oh, you got to get on my pool. You got to. I'm like, fine. You know, he reports to me. I'll throw five bucks in. I was out like the first round. He's like, yeah, you don't know how to pick them, do you? I'm like, dude, I don't know shit about college ball. I don't know. I'm, Follow it at all. The people that don't know usually do the best. Like if I gave one to my wife, she'd be like, oh, I like their mascot. Click, you know. That's true. Who knows? Anyways. Moving on. Moving on. Announcements. Uh, Yeah. I don't think I have any announcements. I think the only thing I could say, I'll pull this up from, I was initially going to talk about in die roll, but the, uh, the misdirected mark guys, Phil Vecchione got a hold of me and, uh, we've been talking kind of behind the scenes, doing some kind of a mashup between little collaboration things. So we're going to do something. I'm not totally sure what it is yet. I'll, uh, get the clearance from Mr. Vecchione to pull the uh, top secret out of the bag and, uh, <gasps> see if we can, <gasps> see if we can tell everybody he's, what's up. He's usurping me. He's probably recruiting you for the misdirected mark podcast. Yeah, he said something like he's got a better benefits package and, uh, <laughs> He's like, as Sean's a recruiter, a re- I totally get it, man. Totally gets it. He's like, Sean, so it's fine. It's just professional. Sean won't care. Like, hey, yeah, I want to talk to you about something, Brett. Um, yeah, but you can't really involve Sean in on that. Um, yeah. Wherever we go, just don't bring him. Yeah, we'll talk. Um, you know, I like Sean. Sean's a good guy. What What do you think, Brett? I mean, he's trying, right? He's trying. He's trying hard. really hard. Um, for a guy in his kid, for a guy with re- his condition, he does well. <laughs> I see, a, I see a lot of potential in you, and you know, I don't know if what I want to. I mean, you know, Sean's a good guy, but he may be All holding right. you back. I'd say holding me back, but yeah, I would not, not, not out loud to your face, but All right. <laughs> anyway, it's all good. Cool. That's, that's the only announcement I can think of about offhand. the talent. All right, let's get into. God, man, I, my stuff is all messed up. Random encounter. Random encounter is where we talk about voicemails, emails, interactions with you. And unfortunately, I have to, I got to put out a disclaimer because we get a lot of interaction on G+. I don't know if anybody knows we exist anywhere else. I'm just kidding. For those that follow us on Facebook or Twitter, even if, I don't know if we have anybody different from one to the other from one format to the other yeah it's like <laughs> it's really cool though. i love i we've said this many times and the feedback we get we'll say something sean will say something stupid as usual or i'll say something totally asinine as usual and somebody will call us like, yeah i don't know man i don't know about this or i like this other idea or that made me think and i mean like we talked about the other time when um i think it was carl was bringing up the kessler was talking about the um, the magic card concept and a few other things out there just for character backgrounds. Those are some cool tools. Carl Kessler. Yeah, just some more stuff to throw in your uh, your tool bag, if you will, to to pull out when you need to need to do something. So it's cool stuff. Who are you it's calling? Good a, who are you calling a tool bag? You. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Actually, it's Carl Kessler. Sorry, Carl. Carl. Kessler. Sorry, Carl. My bad. Yeah. So uh, the reason I bring that up is because we get some pretty decent amount of interaction, and unfortunately, I. 
I mean, I don't have all five or 10 of them listed to talk about. However, I want to make sure that we, we are addressing you online and everything. So that's great. We appreciate it. Absolutely. No question. Having said that, we have a couple voicemails, two voicemails. Yes. So the first voicemail comes in from a friend of the show, Chris Hussey. And if you haven't heard of him, we talked about him in the last episode. He hails from the wonderful, wonderful world of Iowa. And uh, he leaves, well, we'll pitch this and go from there. This is Chris Hussey calling you again. Okay. Good job on the show, you guys. I'm liking what I'm listening to. It's enjoyable. Entertains me. Makes me laugh. Makes me think. So that's a good thing. Here's my question for you. Now, in the old school way of doing things, back in the, back in the distant day of RPGs, you kind of maybe sketched out a map when it came to combat and things like that. But basically, a lot of the times around the table, it was used, combat was done in a very abstract, kind of vague kind of way. You kind of have a little flexibility, so to speak. Now, we've done a lot of more tactical-based things, but there is a map. And your mini is your character, and you've got a position on the board. Makes things much more precise. Also, still fun. Is there a method that you prefer, or do you use both evenly? And what do you think are the pros and cons of both methods? Discuss. All right. Thanks again, guys. Good job. Keep going. All right. So. Well, Chris had mentioned last time how incredibly sexy he sounded when we played it online, and I gotta say, Chris, I'm, 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 I'm feeling it, man. Dude, it was so. I was, yeah, I was just was locked. Cool. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god. <clears throat> Actually, it's kind of cool though. That it was Sean and I have talked about the mapping thing before. As uh, I posted some of the pictures of my kids and I playing D and D on my Google Plus page and stuff, and I have what my buddy Lenny has d- dubbed the butcher paper maps. It's basically just a brown sheet of paper I roll out. It's a packing paper. I think I pick up at one of the large chain stores, and I just roll it out, crinkle it up a little bit, and just use a marker draw on it. It's nothing really to scale. It's kind of a vague, abstracty type thing, like Chris is talking about. We use minis on it, so they can kind of figure out where they are when we're doing a. Uh, an old school type of dungeon crawl or if it's a big fight or something and the boys really want to have <clears throat> some of the extra details in it. So I'll pull the minis out and we'll draw it out and they can kind of figure out where they're going. But it's not but gridded. It is not gridded. Okay. There are no grids involved. One of the cool things then is that I don't have the, <clears throat> what I've dubbed the 8-bit fireball, right, where it's all blocky. Where the fireball isn't the circumference anymore in a circle, it's got the blocky edges. It's like an eight bit fireball, right? You land it. Oh, fireball! Um, because I'm not, I'm the guys, the uh, the boys will say, "Oh, I'm in the corner. I want to be over here a little bit." So we just kind of wedge them around. Oh, I want to run up here. Yeah, you could get about that far. So it's a lot more abstract. And for them and for me, when we're playing it, it moves play along faster. And they don't have to count grids and figure out where I specifically am because of this, that, or the other thing. We make some judgment calls like, oh, you're kind of close, therefore this hits you, or no, you're kind of on the fringe of it. Take a saving throw for a quarter instead of half damage because you're way on the edge, but we won't, don't think you're 100% out of the impact range. So the more I've done that with them, <clears throat> and I have done, <clears throat> excuse me, I've done that a lot in the past with my group, even with playing uh, World of Darkness games back when I was a vampire fanatic, and other even earlier than that, D and D and my Merp days and all that stuff. The the abstract piece of it never really bothered anybody. We kind of get in some arguments as to no, I really want to be around the corner. No, I'm I'm in this exact spot. But generally speaking, it wasn't that big a deal. So I like it. Now, of course, that said, to Chris's point, I do not have. I do, I do like. I guess I do, I do like the grid. When I'm playing a Pathfinder game. <clears throat> or something along those lines where it's one inch, you know, one inch is five feet, boom, 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 boom. And if I'm playing that system and I'm really going to use the system for combat, you know, it makes more sense from a three, uh, from a third ed or, or the Pathfinder type of world to have the grid laid out because then I can have my 8-bit fireball. And it really does matter because line of sight <clears throat> is a very specific tactile thing and you can take this extra five-foot move and so forth. It makes it a little... Warhammer Fantasy Battlefield to me, like it's more of a war gamey type of thing. It's not necessarily bad. I do like those games as well. So it's kind of a 
am I ready to do that again or am I sick of that particular type of detail or not? So I like them both equally. I've had fun doing both. So I can't say, oh, this one sucks and the other one's better. So, Sean, I will shut my gob. And what do you think? Uh, and this is a good one. I like this question. Uh, thanks for actually taking the time to leave the voicemail, Chris. I So Pathfinder, got to have a grid. Throw out the map. Get the squares down. Where are you? Draw stuff out. Take five foot steps. Do you have cover? Do you have line of sight? You know, take the modifiers. However, recently with 5e, I do not, we don't use, well, okay, back up a second. In 5e, I run roll 20. Now, when I brought it to the group, I didn't want to use the grid. I didn't want to use, I just wanted it to. To, I just wanted to use that platform to talk and communicate with each other and maybe throw it's down a, a hand. Cave with your pressure. Gamer it's, pressure. I did. Don't you? Yeah. <sighs> so <clears throat> we do that, but I don't necessarily adhere to the distances or where people are from. Maybe cover. Actually, I, I think I've actually implemented more of a tactical element into that. In a game I play in 5e, no maps, nothing. But that's all face-to-face, though. The it other is all face-to-face, talking. yes. So with Doc's game, my buddy Doc, and the five players, I think we have five, yeah. No grid. How far am I away? How far is it away? Great. Who's near me? Awesome. I'm going to move closer. I'm going to move further. No. Now, if I, if I were running that game, that Doc runs, and I go back to my, like, 14-, 15-year-old self, I may like sketch out the map in freehand, right? Nothing fancy, just like, hey, here it is. It's a cave. It's circular. Here's the mouth and the entrance. And is that a mini size map or just on a very small? Yep, just very small. Eight and a half by 11. Make, you know, even takes up just a little corner. Here it is. X's. I'm here. I'm here. Here's where the altar altar is. Maybe some um, notable reference points. There it is. Is this good? Yeah. Okay. That's it. So I think that you could do, you could go either way, depending on the game that you're playing. I think if you're running a heavier tactical game like Pathfinder, it requires a grid. And I don't think anybody listening to this who is pro Pathfinder is going to argue with that. I've done it without, but it's not. Uh, It doesn't work. Well, maybe it does. You can, but I mean, there's, there's a point though. And I guess the next, the next step on this is, Pure theater of the mind, yeah. insofar as the grid is no larger than an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. Minis not in play, right? There's a lot. Of, I've I don't run when I run Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu, which is my my later preference or my more recent preference. Now, when I would draw something out, it's a whiteboard. It's on a sheet of paper, <clears throat> chalkboard, whatever I happen to have handy to sketch it out. It's not really to scale. It's just like, here's the basics of where the room is laid out. You want to look over here. You want to do this thing, but it's all descriptive. The power, it's total theater of the mind. There's no miniatures. There's no, I am five feet away from this. You know, as you can clearly see on the, the, the way the, uh, the map is laid out. So, um, and back, you know, 13, 14 year old Brett, when I played or even, you know, we didn't, never had minis. I never had miniatures. Right. So it was all theater of the mind all the time. It was eight and a half by 11 sheet of graph paper, with little bitty squares on it, and Eric, uh, our DM at the time, would say, hey, you go down the hall, it's 50 feet. We try to quickly sketch about 50 feet. It takes a right turn, draw the right turn real quick, draw the little square room it's in. There's a chest in the center, there's a this over there, so we just kind of hash it out and say, okay, I want to be near that chest. And we really had to pay absolute attention because there was not, no point of reference other than what was in your head or what you remembered. I know that did lead to arguments, right, when you get a lot of people in a room, which may be where certain quasi-tactical or very specific tactical encounters in a pure theater of the mind game with a large group can be a pain if um d- depending again on, on the nature of the system perhaps but so i guess where we're what we're both saying here is that we agree depending what you want to do both have a good value i just at this point in my gaming uh career within the hobby i'm really kind of leaning towards the more abstract right now <clears throat> maybe it's the osr hearkening back to what i used to do thinking I've got some stupid nostalgia candle in my head that I just have to have to keep lit because it's really cool. I remember this cool thing from before, but I also am in a little bit of a Pathfinder burnout where I don't like dealing with one inch movement and 
very specific 8-bit fire, fireball spreads and that type of thing. There you have it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm running a D20 spycraft game at GaryCon. No, I'm not. I, I'm like, should I have a map? Should I not have a map? Nah. And it's D20. It's tactical. Five foot steps. What's the range? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna wing it. There's something about a dungeon crawl, though, that really, or D and D in general, that has to me maybe makes me want to have that more than a sci-fi game or a spy game. I don't Once know. More, to have more what? I if I was if you're gonna say, look, I'm gonna do one inch squares, could be very tactical, one a miniature and so forth, I go, oh, great, I got ogres and dragons. You're like, no, 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 no. I have spies and people working in a hotel and the janitor and this person I'm like ah, what? There's something about that. And maybe again that could be a Brett hang up. But in the fantasy end of it I you I, have would, no, I like the minis, but I don't give a shit in the modern time. No, what, which, oh, that's what I'm asking. Like, are, are you talking about setting genre? Right. So you're saying in a modern setting, you would not have to have a map. Yeah, I, I wouldn't need it. Okay, for for whatever reason, I would I gotcha. I'd do with a sketch or whatever it is. Even if it was, you know, Pathfinder's rules or the the D20 very gritty type of tactical system. Yeah. If I was doing Spycraft like you are, I'd be like, oh, totally fine. I don't need. Fucking map for that grids for spycraft. That's just asinine. That's stupid. Who's doing that? Right. Okay. It just doesn't. I don't know. And I, I think the genre does impact, at least to Brett's brain, it impacts my uh, my tolerance or my desire to have that. There you have it. Let us know how you use maps um, in role playing games, and depending on what game you're playing, let us know. Uh, email or comment in this episode at gamingmbs slash zero twenty eight. Yeah, I was going to say if nothing else, those guys like. Um, uh, Carl Kiesler and others pointed out, and, and Mo and other people around how they've done PC backgrounds. I'm certain somebody's doing maps in a slightly different way sure. than I'm doing or that you're doing. And it, if nothing else, if you've got a better tool or way to do it, that would I'd love to hear about it because I can always – I'm more than happy to co-opt your stuff. <laughs> yes, but, it, but is it the right way? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. If I like it, it's obviously the right yeah, way. Well, yeah. See, that's how this works. All right, let's get into – do we want to do the the? Well, Frank House got. Do us we one. want to do the the Frank? Ow, oh, the Frank. Yeah, let's talk house. Mike to Mike day. Nice. Letting it all hang out. Here's the Frank <laughs> House. I believe he's never heard that before. Dude, and um, I'll and be- get the gun sound effect ready. Oh yeah. I told you, saying it again. All right, so Eric Frankhouse got a hold of us on voicemail as well. Talking about PC backgrounds, let's see what he's got here. Hey, this is Eric Frankhouse, friend of the show, fan. I'm calling about actually episode 26, player backgrounds. You guys went back and forth, and Sean got himself a little bit in the week. I do understand that whole, uh, um, do you define it for the player, or does the player define it for himself? So what I've come up with is something I do in my games, and I'd like to share with you guys do something called defining moments. I've talked about it on This Imaginary Life. But basically, I put a list of, say there's five people in the group, and they make eight of these defining moments, and they are a character name with a little brief discussion the person's had with somebody, a little background info, and then there's three secrets about them that nobody else in the... I shouldn't say secrets. More like three traits about the person. So, for example, this character in this game called Jasper. There's a conversation between him and a gentleman questioning him. He tells the guy that the, these questions are over because my family is rich. And that I even put in a little thing that they were being questioned about an old character that the player had, player had in the game we played previously, just to tie it all together. But in the back, it talks about he was born into a rich family. Uh, they're rich from running the funerals prior to something that happened in the world. So they sell coffins, rights, burial spots. Um, they made a lot of money off of it. <clears throat> and they're known in that city to make money year-round drives the better seasons that they make money off of people passing. And so they have this really rich attitude, the idea of death is nothing more than money to them. Um, so he, they bury people, and it's something they deal with. And this guy did all the book work for his family and was warning to take over the business. Other than that, the player is allowed to describe anything else about the character they want, anything that surrounds this. But what it does is it gives them a good platform and thing to spring off of to design their character. Now, I don't say you're playing Jasper, and they're allowed to change the game. Most of the time they keep the game or they may or keep the name, or they may change the last name. 
But the three things are, he acts rich, uh, but he isn't currently, and nobody knows it. He wants to help his family reclaim the fame, um, and then he's knowing for doing one thing better than anyone else. That thing can be described by the character and defined by the character. And then at the end, I have the character send me a secret about the character, because obviously everybody gets to see this list of defining moments, and then I send them a secret back, and that's something that nobody in the group knows about except for them, and they get revealed during gameplay. But I found this helps players not only have a jumping point, um, they still get to pick their classes, but they kind of base it around this, and me as the game master, I now have an idea of what their character is about. I can always go back to this part of it, can always go back to this piece of their history. If they add more to it, great. And I found that more players are willing to give me a background that fits excuse me, fits the campaign we're going to be playing because they have these defining moments. Hey, I just wanted to share it with you guys. I love the show. Keep it up, and hopefully I see you guys at uh, JerryCon. Have a good one. All right, there's Eric. So a little lengthy voicemail. Um, no, but no knock on Eric by any means. Thank you so much for sending it in, Eric. One thing I want to mention about Eric is um, if you don't know him or you haven't met him, He's no slouch when it comes to game mastering because he's, uh, I don't know how many times he's actually taken the event, but he's competed in the Iron GM competition at Gen Con. And I know he's at least won one, two or three times. I don't know. I want to say it's three. I mean, Eric and I talked, we've met a couple different times. And the best conversation, unfortunately, I was. Really, really drunk at the time. This last, this last game hole, and it got. We started off. I wasn't too bad at the end of it. I was way too into it. But regardless, whenever Eric and I have had a chance to talk and just kind of compare game master strategies, what are you doing? What's this? What's that? It's only been a handful of times, but the dude takes it incredibly seriously. And I love what his examples talking about. It's one of the things when he and I were talking at this last game hole, we both were like, "This is this is really cool to do because." I am helping you as the player develop your background. You're not just sending me a page and a half of something that I glean through or I write up or whatever it is. And in once I heard the voicemail, I thought back to one of the failings I may have had, <coughs> excuse me, or how I could have done my uh, Murder City sci-fi game better, would have been to cooperatively build or help the players build some of their backgrounds a little bit better. I, I spent a lot of time crafting the world and putting a lot of energy into that. And I'm like, well, the characters, the players are good. They'll build a lot of cool backgrounds. I'll, I'll figure out how to work them all in. But as I said, I pointed out Kevin, uh, his character last time, uh, Hector. Hector had this this family wife-daughter thing. And I saw it. I read it. I thought it was really cool. But I wasn't as engaged in that player's background or the character's background. And damn it. And, and I lost it. When I am engaged, the type of thing that Eric's talking about, whenever I've done something like that saying, you're involved in X, tell me how that works. Doing it in person or a back and forth email where we're actively writing to each other, having that back and forth. I'm really I'm part of that event, you know, what where it, you know it germinates within your mind and within mine, and boom, it becomes this cool thing. So I guess I again I got to hand it to Eric. That's a really good option. I love that tool and anything you can do uh, to help you as the game master remember what the hell <laughs> all those cool parts the players that want to have their characters have it's now ingrained in you you were part of the build process and you helped to guide the player in a direction <clears throat> that said look the story is going to look like this the environment looks like that here's some stuff that will help you fit in appropriately so you don't have you know as i said i think in that episode you're t- i'm doing a library crawl for call of cthulhu and you're a boxer well here's how we could fit you in if you really really want to do that so here is Sean's uh, less than uh, superior GM style take on Eric's voicemail. So what I'm saying is Eric is far superior as a GM than I am. Having said that, I think that if there are secrets involved, that I would try as a GM to encourage the player to bring those out some way or another or to to work with the GM and bringing some of those secrets to the forefront because I think that if I was the GM and Brett was the player and we're working, you know, we have a party, a group of five players, six players, whatever. And I did that with each one where they have kind of their secret and we're working it out between the GM and the player 
uh, whatever that is, whatever that means, we're kind of going back and forth, that if you don't bring it to everybody's attention in some way, or even just half the party or one other person in the party, I think that it you're missing a great opportunity to really enhance the story and bring either people together or draw or, or, you know, putting a wedge between them. Nonetheless, either way, I think it's a great story. Yes. Piece. I think, I think in without Eric here, you know, verbally to defend himself right now. I mean, I would say, you know what? I bet you that it comes up. Yeah. Right. It's got to, because I fed you the secret, something that you only know, everybody knows you've got it. Excuse me. And at some point, if I took the time to do this thing, we cooperatively built this together. At some point, it's going to come out. It's got to come either, to the surface, right? Yeah. Either everybody sees it as a big reveal for for that session or, or that particular instance, or you know, my character away with you know Frank House's character. We're talking, working on something, and then boom, it it spills out, and then I'm the only guy who knows the secret that Eric happened to know and you know you as a game master Sean in this instance would know that you know the two of us get it like oh my god th- does that change the whole group dynamic it's a cool piece i like it yeah i do too but i do think that if you are working at an angle and i know Eric's going to be like no 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 that's not what i'm talking about but if you're working at an angle between player and gm that's great but i think if it's secret it's got you got to figure out a way to bring it to the surface may not be in the immediate time frame. No, absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise then what's the point? One of my gamers, uh, Tabby, um, she's, <laughs> she's got a, a number of great quotes that have made it into, uh, into our group's his- history. And one of them was feed them lies or tell them nothing. That was one of my favorites <laughs> when, uh, somebody was being drug off to be questioned. Um, the other one that she had when, when someone in the group would be discussing something kind of in secret, she will pipe up across the room. Secrets don't make friends. Right. It's just a joke that, ah, she's seeing something happening. Her character sees this. She always does it in character, right? Or some variation on that theme. And the, the, it's kind of what you're saying is that it's really cool. And having these secrets is great. However, if you don't do it, and I'm pretty damn sure Eric is way pro enough to make sure that it's not this weird thing. But if you've, if you've ever played a LARP or talked to guys who have done a lot of vampire LARPing, I've done a little bit and I've talked to a number of folks who have. One of the LARP problems, which can bleed into a tabletop game, is the Brett knows the secret. Sean gave me the secret. We both have this thing. I do dick with it. I sit on it, and I don't do anything with it. And you as a game master, don't make me do something with it. It becomes this thing. Well, okay, it's like saying I have six toes, but I never take my boots off. Who gives a crap? It becomes that I'm hunted. I have this background. I have a, <clears throat> what do I want to say, a, a disadvantage or whatever you want to have or a quirk. That never comes into play. I basically got it for point value or backstory that nobody cares about. And in a role-playing game, as a communal storytelling artistic event, you've got to have – that wall's got to come down at some point. Even if the big reveal at the end is, hey, guess what? I was working in Sean the whole time because he's the guy that killed my mom. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that was your character. Yeah, but I've known it for the last 20 sessions, you bastard, and I've been following you forever. And that's cool. I mean, it all if it comes in like that, that's that's cool stuff. Yeah, and I think a lot of his, you know, voicemail, he's probably like, dude, you're missing like this point, which is really awesome. But I think also that seeing it, uh, it's more intimate. Like his approach is definitely more intimate than mine. No question. I don't think that's any secret just because of how he handles, you know, one, he's making homebrew. He's catering to his players. He's okay. You got secrets. Great. Here's what I think. You know, this is what you know, what I know, blah, and then I'm going to bring it up, and this is the big reveal or the small reveal, but is going to play a role in the grand scheme of things. I think that's great, and I know I'm sure that's what makes him a, a really good GM. I'm hoping to get into one of his game, one of his games at uh, GaryCon. I haven't, you know, I've always blown him off. Like, hey, dude, I'm going to run Numenera. You should come over, and we'll, you know, I got a game runner. I'm going to play. And he runs things off the grid. I've just like, oh, I got this going on or that going on or you know, there's a beer at the bar. So this year, I hope to have some time to sit down and be like, yeah, man, let's let's roll with this thing and see what happens. So, so speaking of before, I, I got something I'm going to throw out, and I'm sure we'll have to uh, stash it for a second, but. Um, 
Sean is planning to go to uh, GaryCon this year, Sean, right? So you've got some stuff depending on scheduling and whatnot. Hopefully you're going to be able to make it and everything will work out. I am not going to be able to make it this year. It's not going to pan out, but Sean is planning to be there. So Yeah, that's the plan. So I will be, I am almost certain I will be there Thursday and Friday. Saturday I have a game to run. Uh, I'm running uh, two, one minute, two minute to midnight. Spycraft D20, four players, three hours. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm like kind of hemming and hawing because my mother-in-law is, we're trying to unload her house. I know this is like, okay, gaming. Now we're talking about mother-in-laws. Well, it's family, right? You've got this oh, family, man. you've got a big piece of property. If you've ever, if anyone out there has ever sold a house before, um, it sucks sometimes, especially if the house doesn't belong to you or, and especially if it has to do with in-laws, it's always a lot of fun. It's so, freaking timing. So I should be there the whole con, but if my, my wife who I love very much and have been married to for over 14 years needs me to take care of something. I may have to duck out of Dodge and that's the deal. And I apologize to anybody that was hoping to uh, meet up for a beer. That'd be awesome. But I do Thursday and Friday, I'll be there Saturday. I'm running for game. I'm running for game hole. So I kind of owe them and I've got, you know, I hate, bailing on players because they've signed up for a game that they're anticipating and playing you bail on players dude i will punch you oh, in the I face know, on I, behalf of the players i know i'm really i'm re- i mean i'm really making this a go where i think i run at nine to noon so even if i can run from nine to noon and bail you know it's on my way to kenosha anyway if you've ever should been to be the, right. yeah so i should be fine but regardless look me up at gary con if you're going to be there um this is going to be dropping like literally two <clears> days before that so so where I was going before this, and one of the things that this came up with and Sean and I were talking about just before we hit the old record button type of thing was I think one of our topics, and this is to steal one from Misdirected Marcus to put a pin in this, is that we have to talk about does the game master make the game, does the players make the game versus system. And I think we've kind of hit on this a little bit where I've talked about system matters or doesn't. And I think what Eric's talking about here, we're talking about DM, GM, excuse me, styles, and how that jives and doesn't what you like or don't like, I think we need. I think that deserves, if you will, another peel of that onion. I think we can get deeper into it. But that was good stuff, uh, Eric Frankhouse. Thank you, sir. That was a good voicemail. I like that. Like I said, this reminds me of our conversation. As uh, as inebriated as I was at Gamehole Con, <laughs> I hope I'm remembering it correctly. But it reminds me a lot about what we talked about there. So cool, good stuff. So we have an email from Scott who has written in before. And Scott, if you don't remember who he was, he is on a podcast. He gets together with the the Savage, uh, the Savage, Jared Gunning, and Jib and those guys to talk about Savage Worlds. Nonetheless, he writes in again, uh, quote, well, I guess I won't quote him. I'll read his damn email. Um, During your player agency discussion, Anytime you give the illusion of choice, say having an encounter designed that the party avoids only to have you place it in their path regardless, that is the quantum ogre. There are people who take umbrage with this idea. Hmm. Carrying on. Rulings at the table. A player absolutely needs to know what they want to do and it is reasonable that they also know the rule and effect of their and the effect of their action. In the case of a player who I'd who I would in a rules heavy game and does not care, they are in the wrong system. I think I got to clear that up a little bit. In the case of a player who is in a rules heavy game and does not care, they are in the wrong system. This is the basics of effect, behavior, cognition. There is a simple, elegant way to handle players who want to do X, 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 and X without saying no, limiting their actions, or being consumed with so-called balance issues. But that is something I am putting on my, he's putting on his YouTube channel. So I should probably post the link to that if I can uh, remember and dig through that. We'll find it. Yeah. It is absolutely insane the pedantic arguments geeks have over which rule covers every action. No action matters. No action breaks the game. There is no game balance. It is a lie and an illusion. I love this guy. Grab the fucking coins. It is fun. That's from uh, just a, a quick sideways. That's from my description, I think, like last episode. 
if I'm remembering correctly, when we talked, I talked about the one Pathfinder group I was following where there was this huge diatribe, or I should say tons and tons of posts about whether this guy wanted to be able to swipe some coins off a table before That's a fight right. broke out. That's yeah. where he's coming from. And, right. and Scott's opinion is basically dead on with mine. Grab the fucking coins. It's fun. This is a good time. Who gives a shit? It doesn't do anything. It's not worthy of looking up the rule. So the so-called, continuing on, the so-called player versus player arguments are also easily mitigated. However, I also think I will save that for a video. So he's leaving us. Leave us hanging. Leaving us hanging. Son of a bitch. Stay tuned. Take care. Great show. Stay classy. What? Well, I do do my part, Scott, to hold up the end here, but I do have to deal with Sean. Not me. Class. What? Oh, the pick is for Brett. That's how I roll. He actually sent Brett a picture of a of a semi-automatic weapon. It's a really, really nice it's looking like a, rifle. It's like an AR-15 in desert. I, I saw it. I'm like, oh, damn. No, it, my gun envy went off, so it's pretty cool. Scott signed off. Scott, the savage cheerleader. I'll tell you now, one of the things he mentioned at the beginning was the quantum ogre, and I think Mo Tusano our Canadian gaming god, um, mentioned this in the feedback to that episode as well. The concept of the quantum ogre, I'm going to tr- do my best to quickly paraphrase it. It's, if nothing else, if you check in our uh, community on Google Plus and uh, search through it, there, it, it'll be there. There's a link to the actual article. The idea is, is pretty much as Scott tried to summarize, is the characters are going along, <clears throat> and I, as Game Master, say, hey, Sean and the boys are going to hit this ogre encounter. They're going to encounter the ogre. You know, but they decide not to follow my prescripted path or the most obvious path. They want to do something silly, I I think, or a different tactic or a different take on it. So instead of crossing the river to meet the ogre or staying on this side to meet the ogre, they do X, which is totally unplanned for. It's kind of a railroading perspective, right? They, well, guess what? They meet the bloody ogre anyway. Doesn't matter where you go. Ha ha, motherfucker. Ogre time. And. <laughs> And that's where people get cranky, where he's talking about it, and people have been. It's that whole, you're going to encounter this no matter where you go. It doesn't matter what happens. The quantum ogre will fucking find you, and he'll be all quantum ogre on you, you know, ah, matter, no matter what. I see. <laughs> and I must admit, I have used that before, where I have, the way I plan out an adventure or storyline is that I have my Alpha and Omega. I have a beginning and an ending. There's a bunch of cool things that I want to potentially have happen. And depending how the players are going, like, you know what, this session, one of these 10 things could happen. I got some cool encounters. We'll see where they go or what goes down. And then I might whip out one of them and say, boom, you hit this ogre or here's the trolls or here's this the crazy mage that lives in a hollowed out tree or whatever the case is. So depending what's going on, I might be like, you know what, this is that event. And this is kind of <clears throat> one of the things, and this is something else we can, again, to, to borrow the put a pin in it concept is where – um, Gumshoe tries to get around the whole forcing the clue to come around, right? Where somebody is going to find something or going to encounter a thing um, so that they can get whatever the MacGuffin is. They can get or, or a clue or a specific artifact or something they need to finish the game, right? So it's often common where in a Call of Cthulhu game, you'll be marching along somewhere and you you miss a step or you don't catch the clue, so the keeper has to go, shit, and I'm going to plan it in the next room. Hopefully the dumb bastards will look under the desk this time and find the damn clue that they need. Um, I think there's there's some coolness in that insofar as you, you know, making sure they find the stuff, they've got the pieces to go forward. And it can feel contrived where no matter what happens, you're going to meet the ogre, right? The quantum ogre is going to be all ogre on you no matter what you do. I'm getting all over, uh, ogre on you. Exactly. But the point, though, is I think where Scott's coming from is like, look, you know what? If it's a cool encounter, whatever. You know, is it fun? Is it a cool encounter? Does it make sense as far as what's going on? You went down the road instead of the ogre being in the hills, the ogre's in the trees instead. Or who gives a shit? If it's a cool ogre encounter, fucking go with it and you're good. It doesn't it, – part of it, this comes to, again, kind of whether it does the game master make the game, per my other comment, is I think is delivery is more than anything else. You're like, well, you're going to meet this ogre anyway, type of attitude. Or, all right, well, you go through the woods instead of over the hills because you think your ranger can get you here better, and lo and behold, you encounter this ogre in a clearing, as opposed to on the other side, you had the ogre set up in the hills. It, it you know, doesn't much matter. Part of it might, in my opinion, is more presentation perspective than anything else. I kind of went off there. Sean, what do you think? <laughs> 
<laughs> I love stop, how you like. Stop me. I'm feeling crazy. Stop me. <laughs> He's out of control. Sean, what do you think? Uh, so I do like the uh, absolutely insane pedantic arguments geeks have over rules cover every, covering every action. Um, I, you know, there's a weird dynamic in the game of sphere. It's a goofy terminology I just made up and maybe not. I'll take it. So I think, you know, I don't know where it kind of, where things went wrong, went wrong. It's not the right way to phrase it, but. Where did we lose it, man? We right, that's exactly it. Man. Yeah, where where did things go? Ruined for the music. What happened, man? You changed, man. Where did things go wrong between us? Uh, but I mean, it's it's a uh, games have like role playing games have like gone through this change, and it's not evolution or revolution necessarily. But I look at it and go, AD and D, old school, and three O, and I don't think three O is a bad game. No, I like it. I have a lot of fun playing it. Yeah, and I don't think Pathfinder is a bad game. I just don't care to play it anymore, but I don't think it's a bad game. So having said that, it is very rules intensive, and it really does outline, as a GM, here's your responsibility. As players, this is your responsibility. So I think the line is is more clearly defined. And I don't know if that's just because in the past, players got pissed off because GMs would be out to screw them. And in so doing, the players needed rules to say, look, GM, you just can't pull shit out of your ass because there's a rule that governs that. Now, I do think that many of us that listen to the show and many of us in RPG land are okay with regardless if we're playing old school games that are not as heavily intensive in the rules as maybe something as 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever, something very tactical, I guess. This is like a whole philosophy. You know what's interesting when you say that is when you say old school, right? So let's say we go back to AD&D. It's all rulings, not rules. Well, yeah, except for segments for combat rounds. My longsword against chainmail. My longsword against this weapon Saving and this throws. armor. There, armor I mean, class. there, there are rules, right? You know, in very in which we're obviously, or shouldn't say obviously, perhaps. I, I, well, I feel confident saying that I was not the only gamer with a gaming group that didn't use all the different segment rules, weapon all the different speed. rules for fucking encumbrance, weapon Encumber. speed, encumbrance. Who yeah. the hell uses encumbrance, right? Um, level limits with races. Level sometimes. limits with races, yeah. and sometimes. <clears throat> so I think. There is a when the rules changed. So that, what do I want to say? When it becomes the life and death rule, right? This is how combat works. Combat is very tactical because if you die, that's big. You have to be raised in this fashion. I need to know the very specific pieces about it. I need to be able to accomplish this task. Do I have a skill that does it? And what's my percent chance to do this thing? You know, what happens if I don't have it, but I'm kind of skilled? Instead of the rulings, you know, I want a rule that very specifically calls this out for me that I can then apply <clears throat> as necessary across the board. So you know, where the hell was I going with that? Anyway, the, the old school had a lot of rules in some regards, but when it came to perhaps some of the finer points of like spell descriptions, there is no saving throw unless this one time when this thing happens, maybe. You're like, whoa, what does this mean? You didn't have as many, excuse me, you don't seem to have as many needs to um, on the spot adjudicate um, a spell a spell description perhaps in the core Pathfinder system than you would in an AD&D first ed or even a red box type of thing. The spell sometimes is very clear and sometimes like, hmm, I'm not sure how it applies specifically here because they used a different phrase and they're now, there's no stacking rules. There's no rules of does this add on to the next piece or whatever the case is. So I get, so anyway, ugh, blah, I totally cut you off there. But where I'm going is that I get where you're coming from in the I want to make sure that everything's level playing field and I get it and I can – I almost want to say like I can win or something like that. And part of it too is that you and I both talked about this many times is that I'm burned out on Pathfinder. Right? I need to do something else for a while. I can see – I can totally see 
you and I in a year and a half from now going, you know what? I fucking like to do, dude. We should run a Pathfinder game. Just yeah, man. Straight po- core rule book. Power core that. Book. Yeah. Yeah. Just fucking old school Pathfinder dungeon crawl. Core yeah. rule book and bestiary one. And we'll see what we can do. Min max the shit it. out of it, man. Come and kill yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Why not? I mean, it's fun. It is fun in its way. <laughs> is there a limitation to it? Perhaps is that limitation imposed by Brett? Does Sean impose his own limitation versus somebody else who's playing the shit out of it and says, what the fuck do you mean limitations, boys? I'm having a blast. Maybe, you know. I'm going to have to ping it. Where the hell do we go? I don't know. (laughs) We totally went off there. So I guess we're at Scott's point to bring it back to Scott. You know, I mean, if Scott were sitting here, you know, BSing with us right now, I'd be like, you know what, dude, I totally with you. If there is. Most likely, a player's action or what he wants to do isn't going to break the balance. So if I have all of these rules designed to help maintain balance, and what I want to do is steal five silver coins off the table before the barbarian punches me in the face, that does not wreck the balance of the game. Whether I just say, okay, fine, you grab five silver coins, good for you, take D4 bashing, brother, because he hits you with a mailed fist, right? That doesn't impact anything. The player quote-unquote, gets away with a free grab of five silver pieces, but who gives you shit? It's fun. It's no big deal. Just roll with it. So I think that's where Scott and I were, um, I want to say, absolutely violent, violently agreeing, if you will, that, that it doesn't really matter in that place. You know, just let it happen. I would be, I would love to sit down, and I know Skip Williams usually shows up at Gary Con, and he runs a game. As a matter of fact, I know he's running one this year. Skip is uh, local to Lake Geneva right now. So, I mean, he just walks down and runs some games. Jonathan Tweet's going to be a game hole. Monty, I've met. But I would love to get those three guys in a room and go, tell me why you came up with D20 and 3.0 the way you did. Why did you go from second edition or first edition AD&D to something that was like 3.0? It's a mentality shift, right? It's a shift of, or maybe it's not. I don't. Maybe it's I don't not. Know. Maybe they'll just say, "Well, we thought it would be more conducive to the way people wanted to play," or maybe it would heighten the experience of X or Y. I don't know what that answer is, and I don't know if anybody's ever asked them. Um, somebody, yeah, I think, somebody may um, just say, "Dude, you need to look and listen to this episode or whatever." But yeah, I don't know. I know Ken and Robin have said this before on their podcast, and it's kind of the what is the core activity of your game. And do all of your mechanics support that? I'm absolutely paraphrasing well, that. It's a system and, and matters thing, right? It totally is. But that when we're talking about this, though, is that if your game you've made, you want, you know, if you're like, well, if you really want to have an argument as to whether or not you can grab five silver pieces off a table before the barbarian's big iron fist hits you in the face, the core activity of the story you as a group are telling, right? Take away the system perspective and just say, do we even need. Does the game we're running right now require us to do this because it's part of the core activity that every little itty-bitty thing we do to get coin is important? So therefore, I really need to make sure whether it's D6 or D4 silver coins I can grab because it matters because I'm whatever. I'm I'm so poor I need the money or whatever the case is. So the core activity of that adventure, that storyline, that plot element, whatever it is, would need you to make a roll, I could see that, right? Where if I did this, I get into the Thieves Guild. If I'm able to swipe this this coin off the table, and by doing so effectively, and I come back with six silver pieces, they'll be like, boom, you're the man. Sean's character is now in the Thieves Guild. Great, you're an apprentice or whatever. If that's part of it, I could see that being a systematic type of thing. But otherwise, I'm with Scott. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's not that big of a deal. It doesn't unbalance the game. If it helps to drive the story forward, let it go. Just let it happen. All right. Are we done with the wankery? What's that? Are we done with the wankery? I think so. <laughs> I think I probably Scott probably had a very simple point and we completely yeah. destroyed it. But. Well, I always think of these discussions as wankery. Because <laughs> I, I mean, it is. And, it, you know, that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. But it is like... And it, and and I say wankery as in not to to you know dig not to dismerge those who wank yeah right 
Exactly. But it is when you when you start talking about rules and system and if system matters and whose control has what and you know, does the rule system facilitate what you're the experience that you're trying to get out of and you started getting into simulationist and game theory and narrativism and all that, you know, the what is it, GSM or whatever, game is simulation narratives. It's what it becomes more wankery than anything to well, me. If you want to put a hmm, intellectual exercise into any hobby, right? Which is quasi what we're doing here, right? We're talking yeah. about different concepts and tools. I'm a lot more interested. I mean, I listen to Ken and Robin, they've got some really cool stuff. Every once in a while, they go off in Brett's opinion and they dissect something too far. Well, guess what? These dudes are professional designers and writers, and making sure that they really build something a certain way. Versus, fuck, dude, I'm winging it. It's my home campaign. I'm not going to publish this thing. No gaming cop's going to come tell me I'm doing it wrong. What the hell? You know, so I I guess I don't like to spend too much time analysis paralysis on how I'm running. Because even if you look at Robin's Laws to uh, Good Game Mastering, you know, the old pamphlet he put out through Steve Jackson Games, at the end of the, at the beginning and at the end, are you having fun? Is it working? Is what you and your group are doing working for you? Good. Don't change a goddamn thing. Totally paraphrasing and adding a little square. But the point is, <clears throat> is if it's working, it's working, right? <clears throat> so there is, and this is perhaps another one for a totally, total another show or in connection with the, does the game master of the players make the game is it's, what, what am I saying here? It's the kind of, it's the concept of how deep, how many layers of the onion do you have to peel off before you just stop and say, it's a fucking onion, put it on my pizza, right? At some point you're like, look, I, I like this thing. I'm going to do it. I don't have to know why at what strange visceral level I appreciate this. Who cares? Just do it. Talking about gaming, by the way, there, just so you know. <laughs> there you have it. You might, want to, you might not want to take that too far into the rest of your life. All right, man, let's get this. Uh, let's pimp out uh, some dice bags. Do it. All right, man. Where's my button? You suck at this. Dude. Michael Aldhauser, a friend of the show and sponsor, is the gamer behind the awesome dice bags available at grayedout.etsy.com. Yeah, I've got four of these awesome bags. These are stand-up bags, dual drawstring, tough as nails. He can do custom work. He's got a ton of things in his shop, custom colors. You name it, he can pull it off for you. Be sure to mention Gaming NBS for a 10% discount when you place your order at the website grayedout, that's G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. Okay. <clears throat> Buy a dice bag for Michael. Do it. Use our promo code. I'm actually, I think I need to get in on that myself. I've got, my two boys are now super into it. Connor's been borrowing monster manuals and squirreling him away in his room. <laughs> I had to come down, dude, where's my monster manual? <laughs> As he's designing his next dungeon level and stuff. So I think I need to get these boys. Uh, they've got my two old crown Royal dice bags. I need to get, need to get them their first real, real dice bags. And they'll have those things forever. Yeah. You're damn right. You're giving to them as like 10 year olds, man. Holy cow. I had my sock for a long time. <laughs> nice. All right. Let's do die roll. Right. I think we should. We can move right into it. Sweet. All right, die rolls where we take 2d4 miscellaneous points that Brett and I want to bring to your attention that has to do with gaming or geekery or whatever is going on. Brett? Yeah. So I'll lead off. I want to say a big thank you to Mike Rigsby. He's one of the guys that follows... Uh, us on uh, Google Plus. I talked to him on, on online a little bit. He's, he's not IT even guy. a gamer. Well, he used to game long time. He used ago. to game, yeah. but you know, he just he's listening to to Sean and I seeing our banter back and forth. He comments, he says some cool stuff on the on the Google Plus stream, and and Mike says I, I post up the fact that Rogue Brewing has a right hand of doom red ale. It's a Mike Magnola Hellboy themed beer. I'm like, oh my god, I gotta have one. Of so course, it's all sold out, out everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, can't find it. Mike lives out right next to Rogue Brewing. He's like, dude, I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm going to get a bottle for you and Sean. Get you guys a couple if I can. He shops around, scours the stores. He <laughs> comes back on Google+. Plus. He's like, dude, it's out. I'm really sorry. I'm like, dude, I didn't even ask you. That is so awesome. Yeah, no, that's so, good. 
Mike, if you do listen to this, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. That was I, I know it didn't pan out, but the fact that you even tried is awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Streetwise, roll roll for a gathering brew. Dude, it's just part of the story. He couldn't find the beer, okay? There's no fucking rule needed. He rolled a one. <laughs> he rolled a one. Wah, wah. The other thing is I finally got a chance to – I shouldn't say finally. I uh, made the time because my wife and I had a um, had an event to go to Frank. Our buddy Frank uh, had his little um, divorce party yesterday. So I couldn't make it. I told Frank. Couldn't make it. Yeah. it was well, fun. Yeah. Susan and I went there. Anyway, it's a guy – Sean, I know no one, else, no one else fucking cares about this. Anyway, so Susan and I are killing time in Madison. And I'm like, you know what? We got to go to Einboard. She's like, oh, I've never been there. We walk into Einboard. And I'll tell you what, man. Um, Alex Kammer from Gamehole said it. And I'm. this is my first time I've had the time to get there. It's an hour and a half away from my house, Since right? Since they've moved. Yeah. And yeah. it's a great it's a great little store. Yeah, it's good. It's clean. It's well organized. Everybody there knew their stuff. I'm trying to find a decent game. And... My wife says, Small World, you've played this before. This should be a lot of fun for the kids. Like, oh, geez, God, I remember being so complicated. And <clears throat> I'm not sure AJ will get into that because he's only going to be nine. And so we walk away, look at some other stuff. And one of the guys at the shop comes over and very politely asks Susan, what are you looking for? Can I help you? And she throws out some stuff. And I listen to him. I'm, we're bantering back and forth. He's like, the game's only complicated because of the options. He's like, actually, the gameplay itself is quite simple. And he refreshes me, runs me through the system. I'm like, you know what, dude? You're totally right. The awesomeness of this game stems from the fact that it starts out simple. You can make it harder. Done. Boom. Sold me a game. And so you I, and you know Mo Tusano, so he could tell you how to play that game. Absolutely. If there's a board game made and I don't know how to play it, I'll just ring up Mo, dude. <laughs> Lend a brother a hand. Yo, Windsor Gaming Group up in Canada. Tell Brett how to use how to play Small World. So it'll work. It's cool. So I sat there to today with my son, AJ, punched out the little counters and lined them all up and looking at the pictures, and he's all excited for the first time we get to play it. So the other piece I had was there is, um, for 5e, they're re-releasing the Elemental Evil, the Temple of. I Word on the street is, if I'm correct, they're moving it from Greyhawk into the Forgotten Realms, which will uh, irritate my buddy Lenny to no end. How does that work? <clears throat> I don't know. This is just what I've heard. I it's like Lost, played. the island moves. It's <laughs> like the island moves. Um, but on drive through, they have an Elemental Evil Player's Companion for 5e. I have not had a chance to really seriously dig into this thing. But I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's a neat little feature. It's uh, meant to sp- support the Elemental Evil Princes of the Apocalypse adventure product. So I'm assuming that there's something that they're going to crack out there for um, for uh, for 5e that should be pretty cool. So anyway, co- I'm just interested. Is there a cost? Uh, is there a cost? There is a no cost. It is a free, free PDF from them. So yeah. if nothing else, I've got to grab it. I just haven't had time yet. I figure I'll take a look at it, see if I can uh, glean some info as to what might be coming for it. The Temple of Elemental Evil is still one of my all-time favorite old-school adventures. I love that one. And the return that Monty did, the return to, is an awesome 3.0 adventure. It's a lot of fun. <clears throat> the last one I have is Blades in the Dark Kickstarter. <sighs> Those guys... Over at Misdirected Mark, they put a post up there, and they're talking about Blades in the Dark Kickstarter, and they could not have picked a Kickstarter that that couldn't. I mean, this thing hits like all the right nerve gamer. What is this stuff? I've not put any money into it yet. <laughs> There's 18 days to go as of today, which is what March 22nd. So I'm looking at this thing like, ooh, it's about a city and thieves. This is very Lankmar. This is very. Thieves world. This is oh my god. Oh, I need to back away. I need to walk away. I found myself drugged back to this Kickstarter page. I've read it, watched the video. I'm seeing all these people are posting some great stuff. I you guys have heard me if you've listened to this before. I've been moaning and pissing about Kickstarters and such. Oh, this one is really tempting. So I'm trying to. Uh, I've got 18 days to figure out if I'm going to get in on this or not. But god damn, is it tempting? And I'm going to have to blame Phil Vecchione and the. Because he's the one I believe that posted it from Mr. Mark. He posted it up there, and that bastard Phil, you might, you might have, you might be taking my money from me. Dirty bugger. I'll be giving it to John Harper from Blades in the Dark, but, but it may, it may happen. It Was may it happen. like Thief the the video game or what? It sounds very similar to that. It's a lot of um, you build a cabal, if you will, of uh, of thieves. You're trying to work your way up through the city, different. Um, uh, so you've got a little clan of thieves. You're working way up in popularity, different groups within the city vying for power and so forth. And you're trying to get tougher, stronger. There's some really cool stuff. I've got a link in the show notes. Check it out. It looks kind of cool. Like I said, I'm not 100% sold yet, but I think within the next 18 days, I might 
just crack. He only had a, a goal of 7,500. He's got almost 2,000 backers and over $93,000 pledged. Hmm. So it's doing quite well in that regard. Good for him, man. Word on the street is I started to do because I decided, God damn it, I'm not going to throw any money at anybody unless I do a little more research. I'm hearing John Harper's a good dude. He's done a bunch of good stuff. And people are like, oh, it's John, man. That means he's going to, Harper's going to push it out there, brother. He's good. He's going to do it. Don't worry about him. So I'm hearing the right things. So I might have to, I'd have to throw money at it. I don't know. So I'm going sh- to stop talking about it. Sean, your turn. Your turn. I'm going to get weak if I keep talking. Go. Don't leave me, man. Come on, go. <laughs> All right, man. Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation. July 31st is the launch. The trailer is out there and available. It stars Simon Pegg. Tom Cruise, I think Alec Baldwin is involved, and Jeremy Renner. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I... What's that? You are the spy guy, which means you need to get a copy of Night's Black Agents, brother. I know. I've been looking for it. I got got to just order it online. Just go to Felgrand, grab it. Or check, check. If you go to Gary Khan, check out the dealer hall. Somebody's probably got it, dude. It's a damn good game. Yeah. So... I, you know, so being the espionage guy, I think I'm going to check that movie out. Even if I wait until it's out on video, who knows? But check out the trailer. It'll be in the show notes. Sweet. Yeah. There's a rogue nation, man. Secret government. What else do we got? Forgement West. So we give a lot of love to Game Hole. And I feel bad because Forge Midwest is also a great con here in Madison. It's smaller. It's on April. It's April 24th through the 26th. So I think it's a good time to put that out there and let people know. It is a free convention. Game, really? Free cool. game con. Yep. And you can drink at it. <laughs> Hello, free and you can drink. Well. Right. Well, it is Wisconsin. I think if you're not allowed to drink at a game convention in Wisconsin, I think you're, you can't open one. So Right. <laughs> Pretty. I've heard about Forge. I've never been. Have you been? Have I you have. Been I've been to Forge Midwest a couple times. I have not taken- Tell me about the fun. Regale me of the fun times that, that, that you have indeed had. I have not. Uh, I haven't gone there from, I think it runs, well, let's see. What did it say? 24th to 26th. So I think it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I haven't gone the whole- you know, 11 yards, 10 yards, whatever football third team theme you want to go with. But uh, I haven't gone all nine innings. Uh, <laughs> we're like the least sporty guys. Dude, just stop with the analogies. Carry on. So you went for a little bit, but you haven't been the whole way through. That's right. And no. that's oh. like. <laughs> <laughs> We've been stuck at a rim shot. What else have we got? An, ill time, we an ill-timed rim shot on top of it. Yeah, so. All right. Anyway, stop it over there. My band members over there. Um, so I went there and like, uh, I think I went there Saturday one day and I, that's the first time I ever played Dungeon World. Oh, cool. So Forge, Miz, Forge Midwest, um, there'll be a link in the show notes. It's for, forgemidwest.wordpress.com. Go there. It'll tell you a little bit about it. I think they run a lot of things through their Facebook page. Regardless, it's here in Madison. It's the, for those three days. It is very much a storytelling, independent, published, focused convention. Hence, Forge. Pro, you know, I don't want to put any words in, in anybody's ears or anything, but I believe if uh, I know Willow and Tim are really back, big backers, I think Willow actually may run the show, but the Forge. And uh, the Forge used to be a big forum about gameism and independent well, publishing. That was Ron Edwards, the guy from Sorcerer, yep. back in the day, and he was a big GNS dude. And yep. cool. I mean, and, I'm looking at I'm looking at here. They get uh, it's small, like you said, yep. fifty to seventy five gamers showed up last year. They're hoping that, um, or at least the back in 2012, 2013, I think twenty fourteen was probably a little bit bigger. We'll see what twenty fifteen brings for them. It is very much a kind of uh, if I were to put. If I would put the format into context, it is very much like a camp. So like if you've been to a bar camp or whatever camp, 
And those camps are usually ad hoc. They're very, uh, so you go in there and you say, you know, a sticky note, and you write your game on there, what the game is, how many players, and you put it on a board and you put the time you're going to run it. That's it. So there's no pre-registration. There's no event registration. You show up, you find out who's playing what, and you sit down and play. So it's well, a, cool. yeah, it's a refreshing type of approach, but you know, and there may be somebody that's going to be playing five E there, but typically it's going to be more of the Ron Edwards, um, you know, Dungeon World, Apocalypse World. Um, if you go to like Indie Press Revolution, their their website, the IPR guys, yes, you're going to see fiasco and that type of thing is what I'm understanding from what I'm seeing here. Hell, so. he broach the roach. <clears throat> Um, sorcerer, tons of them that I can't even name at this point. But if you're interested and you're in the area, it's here in Madison. Check it out. It's for a, a definite different look at different games. Very cool. Yeah. Number three, wanted or AKA now hiring 800 uh, Vikings. So I posted this on my Google Plus, And if you didn't see it, why are you not tuned into me on a Google Plus? But anyways, there is uh, a need for 800 extras for the... 8,000. 8,000, sorry. I was... I'm at the website now. The casting call to find a minimum of 8,000 extras to That's work right. on the forthcoming season in Ireland. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, so if you're in the neighborhood or you're going to Ireland, if you're planning a trip to Ireland and you and really you'd like to be a viking and you really want to make a go of it and it's like a trip you will never forget, go ahead and be an extra in Vikings. Uh I'll put a link in the show notes. That's and, awesome. Yeah. There you have it. I would definitely put that on my resume before I put gamer on my resume. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, right. Like I'm a GM. I was a Viking. What'd you do once over? The fucking Viking is what I was. Oh <laughs> awesome. yeah. So that's it for the show. Thanks for tuning in. Much appreciated. If you find the show awesome and you're really a big fan and you really like what we have to say, or if you don't like anything what we say about anything we say, go to iTunes and tell us. Rate us. Gives us added exposure. Brings us to the attention of other people. And. Every time somebody leaves a review, an angel gets his wings. Yep. Keep the feedback coming, folks. It's good stuff. It uh, ate up our time today. It's good. Thank you. Otherwise, I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. Have a good one. <laughs>